Recorded live. Scuba Obsessed Weekly Podcast. We talk about all things scuba diving from cool new gear, places to dive, and scuba news. Scuba Obsessed episode 212-212 is recorded live September 11th, 2014. Welcome back to Scuba Obsessed, coming to you from the southwest part of Michigan, where it is getting a little colder. I'm Darren Jolson, and joining me this week, all the way back from Sheboygan, Michigan, is Jim Schultz. How you doing today, Jim? How you doing? Doing good. Sounds like our connection is going to kill us. It's getting a little, it's a little quiet at the moment. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you okay. Okay. Of course, we'll edit that out on post. Yeah, it was... <laughs> it was breaking up a little bit when uh, you were first doing an introduction, but I can hear you okay now. Okay. Well, let's go ahead and jump right on into the news before we get to there. Mac is doing okay. He's just, uh, I think he's recovering from all that diving he did up in Sheboygan. Yeah, I think he's actually got some other plans, but we'll, we'll say it's diving related while he's taking tonight off. So the first article we have up is a follow-up to the, if you remember back a few episodes ago, we had that uh, aquarium fish collector and the environmentalist who who tangled, and they have set a court date. And for those lucky enough to be in the chat room, we also give them a set of show notes so they can follow along. And this is when we should cue the, the moment where I go on a rant about how slow internet is. So the trial has been set. They've got a, I don't know if that, does that mean they've got a date? It doesn't quite say. A Hawaiian man who collects and sells tropical fish for a living has pleaded not guilty to to a charge of terroristic threatening for allegedly pulling the air supply regulator out of the mouth of an anti-aquarium industry activist while she was underwater. Jay Lovell did not speak during the brief arrangement Tuesday. His attorney asked for a jury trial, which is set for, set for September 11th, which is today, on the misdemeanor charge. This is according to West Hawaii Today. The incident took place in May when uh, activist Renee Umminger and other divers approached Lovell while he was collecting aquarium fish. Umminger has said that they approached with cameras to document him collecting tropical fish in a reef. Video of the incident shows uh, the collector swimming, and he was actually moving quite quickly towards a diver and uh, ripped out her air supply. A snorkeler watching from above filmed the scene with another camera. Uh, Lovell's lawyer, Evan Smith, told the newspaper his client was surrounded by six strangers. He claims the divers blocked his route back to the surface and said that he immediately reported it to authorities. He is not the criminal here. So it kind of gives you an indication of maybe which way they could be uh, heading, uh, saying that he felt threatened by being crowded and he was merely just trying to protect himself. Sounds like a reasonable defense. Uh, the environmentalist Wonders goals. The video supports that. Yeah, I mean, I've watched the it's video the portion of the video. Yeah, I, I, and there's video from two angles. I don't know if I've seen the second angle. I think maybe we've seen some stills from it, but uh, yeah, I, I think the the tough thing with video is that the jury gets to make their own determination, and uh, you know, we'll have to see. They'll just have to decide. Uh, 
I wonder if they did they say how long he's going to get if they get found guilty. I'm betting that. No, they did say it was a misdemeanor. Yeah, misdemeanor charge. So yeah, I'm going to guess that any time he's already served is probably going to be enough. Yeah, chat room. I'm I'm hearing the video. You're saying the video is cutting out. I'm on a fairly fast connection, so we're just going to have to mark this up to the, the internet in general. We have veterans who are finding peace thanks to scuba gear. Um, what is going on is that they're using scuba diving as a way of group therapy. Uh, let's see here. Do they say uh, when Tim Maynard uh, returned from active duty last year as a Marine, he was diagnosed with PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. His life was spiraling out of control. He says, things went down a dark road for me after getting out with the PTSD. I lost my family. I lost my job. My my apartment complex kicked me out because I had flashback. No matter what he did, nothing seemed to help. I went to group therapies. I was actually institutionalized for a little while because of the PTSD. I was having flashbacks thinking I was in other places. I went through some electric therapy, one-on-one counseling. They put me through some medication for about two years. Nothing really worked. It was ups and downs. It was driving me crazy. It was tearing my body apart. Uh, Then he came across a program in his hometown of Greenville, North Carolina, that offered free scuba diving veterans to uh, those who received a Purple Heart. So he signed up. The first time I got in the water, he says, it was just like everything stopped. Everything. It was mind-blowing how alone yet safe I felt. I felt like uh, nothing else mattered except for swimming around right there. And then when he came up, I couldn't even express the amount of joy and overwhelming sense of emotion. He said he finally felt a sense of relief. Diving is all that I had. He said all choked up. It's all I kept doing because it's what made me feel good. He says scuba diving saved his life. Maynard goes scuba diving at least once a week now. From the Florida Keys to the Bahamas, he explored shipwrecks off North Carolina. It's been nine months since I've had an anxiety attack, and I didn't have to take my medicine for it anymore because I was diving so regularly. I feel a sense of euphoria two or three days after I do the dives. I can understand that. Yeah, I, I think so. I'm always amazed at how good I feel when I get up from a dive. Yeah, you and me both. I might be physically tired, but mentally I'm... You know, generally rested and my blood pressure's down, my heart rate is down. I know when I'm breathing, when I'm underwater, I don't pay attention to it. But as, as I watch the videos that I've shot, um, my breathing rate is generally 8 to 10 breaths per minute when I'm diving. Yeah, that's, that's a good good breath rate. Yeah, it's about half of what it is on the surface, that rest. You know, so, and, and isn't that amazing just, how that works? Now we, we, we are breathing a little bit more. Uh, concentrated, so I wonder if uh, if that's part of why we also get some of the slower respiration uh, breathing on scuba. Uh, well, I have a little more effort to breathing on scuba. Yeah. Well, and also I, I tend to concentrate more in the breathing. I mean, when I first started scuba diving, you just it was I, I mimicked what I did in the surface, and I would go through a tank in no time. But you know, after about your twentieth dive, and you realize I don't need to breathe as much as I think I do, uh, then it went to a slower rate. I definitely understand that calm feeling. That's a, this, the sense I get when I go diving as well. And uh, if you happen to be going to uh, southern Mississippi, uh, the University of Southern Mississippi's recreational class has returned after a three-year hiatus. In April of 2011, a fire in the M.C. Johnson Natorium on campus crippled the 40-year-old scuba program, costing the department all its equipment. The program was a total loss for us. Our equipment didn't survive, says Bill Powell. And now we instructor. 
We now have new equipment, and that equipment is top of the line. We are pleased with the equipment. It has allowed us to provide back to the community, our university community, SCUBA. The program is now back on its feet after university purchased new gear, and 11 beginner divers have received the certification during the spring semester. I came to Southern Mississippi for marine biology degree, and I found the class and thought it would be a great asset, uh, said uh, Sarah Benarziak. Is that Benarziak? Close. I'm, I'm sure I'm – there's a few extra – consonants in there I didn't pronounce, but uh, I think I got it close. Uh, she received her certification in spring. Some parts of class had been actually pretty difficult, just putting on all the equipment and knowing you're not going to die underwater just because you feel like you're going to sink at first, but you do sink and you're underwater, but you have a regular in your mouth and you can breathe like you're on land. So it's really just amazing. So good to see that they got their program back. Yeah. Shane, they had to lose all their gear, but, you know, hey, they've got updated gear now, so well, and, and maybe it was they'll nice. find more people interested in it. And it was nice that they just didn't go the easy way out and say, hey, we, you know, we'll, we'll scrap that program, when other schools who didn't lose gear have ended their programs. Now, here's a job that they didn't have on career day when I was in school. We have uh, Sylvia Go. She uh, went from scuba diver to Hollywood stunt double originally from Hungary and ended up in Hawaii. Sylvia Goh was known she wanted to be an scuba instructor growing up in landlocked Hungary, uh, which was still under communist control at the time, was made it difficult to pursue a career in, in scuba diving. At 13 years old, she was already competing in orientation diving, a sport which occurs in lakes with uh, particularly no visibility. The object of the sport is to find a predetermined destination using a compass, a map, and distance accounting device. While Go wasn't the most talented in the water. She knew her strengths and used those characteristics to her advantage. Plenty of my colleagues were superior swimmers or worked diligently to develop my navigation skills. In clear water, my competitors could outswim me, but in bad visibility, I usually excel because of my ability to, to be fairly precise with my compass. Now, have you heard of this sport? No. I'm trying to, th do they don't really say if it's scuba. It kind of indicates that maybe it was. They called it or competing and orienteering diving. That seems like a perfect sport for for us in the Great Lakes. Huh. I'll have to do some research on that. Limited visibility? Yeah, it says limited visibility. Yep. So uh, it wasn't until she had logged nearly 500 hours that uh, Go experienced her first ocean dive. So she's logged 500 hours, and it definitely was, was scuba. Uh, and that was when she was 18 years old. Afterwards, while standing at a beach, she decided that she was going to live in a place with the ocean in sandy beaches and was summer all year round. She said she watched uh, some Jacques Cousteau movies but didn't just want to watch. She wanted to make her own. And it goes on and it talks about some of her training and how she had the opportunity to uh, go and do a dive that got her her SAG card, which allowed her to be in movies. And since then, she's done uh, quite a few different. She did the one that was uh, the Drew Barrymore. She's done Desperate Housewives. She did the 2010 remake of the horror film Piranha 3D. Piranha! She was cast as a double for Diane Mayer, one of the film's co-stars. It was a week-long stint with uh, for the diving double opportunity to mingle with cast and crew. Working in a film was fun, but she recalls the blog post or website. It was also difficult. And she talks about some of the experience she had. In one scene, uh, she was being attacked by Prana, and she had to lose her gear and then swim out of the cave. So she said she was a little bit nervous when she went and did that. Now, at one point, I, I think she says, uh, doubling Drew Barrymore in Big Miracle was a dream come true for me. We were about the same age, and I grew up watching her movies while often imagining I was her. I don't think she's about the same age as Drew Barrymore. She said she's 37. I want to say Drew's closer to my age. I don't know how old she is. Yeah, okay. Well, we're going to look up in the big 
book of everything. So she was born. I'm going to. Oh, wait. No, she's not. Uh, she's she's right about her. Oh, that makes me feel old. She was born in uh, 75. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So she was about seven years younger than I was. So about my sister's age. Huh. Okay. Now I feel really old. You feel old. In 75, I was a junior in high school. <laughs> well, we need Mac here so you can make us both feel young. Yeah. <laughs> and speaking of Mac, I'm sure he would love to have uh, made this find. What is considered to be the oldest coin, at least in Bulgaria, was found. Discovered in the Black Sea just uh, off the town of Sezalzopol. Uh, this is according to Vladimir Panchez, a numicist uh, with the National History Museum in Sofia. Sofia? Sofia? The coin is made of electrum, which is a gold-silver alloy, and can be dated back to the second half of the 7th century, originating from the kingdom of Lydia, which means it is at least 2,650 years old. Lydia was an ancient land west of Anatolia. Yes, 7th century B.C., so 2,600 years old. They said that the Lydians were the originators of gold and silver coins. The coin weighs 1 24th of a stator, which is an ancient Greek coin made of gold, silver, or gold, silver alloy. Discovery was in seawater one meter deep off of Sozopol by an unnamed scuba diver turned it over to the National History Museum. An unnamed scuba diver. Unnamed scuba diver. Why would you want to get credit for it? Guess he was, was supposed to be at work that day. <laughs> yeah, he didn't want to get in trouble for calling in. But that just goes to show some of the best things that we found have all been in, in shallow water. I think most of them are in water less than 15, 20 feet. Yeah. Other than shipwrecks who just sink out middle of nowhere, and that's the only thing you see. But you can find a lot doing some grubbing. Now, this next shipwreck, that was is a little bit more than just a little grubbing. Oh, I pasted the bad URL. I clipped the first letter off. Come on. Now, don't you love the websites? I'll try to ask if you don't want to download the app. So, a 115-year-old shipwreck has been located along Lake Superior Shipwreck Coast. Researchers with the Great Lake Shipwreck Historical Society in Paradise, Michigan, found the ship in August along with the along the lakes, what they're referring to as a shipwreck coast. And this is according to a statement released by society. The area has historically been treacherous and claims dozens of shipwrecks. Researchers used sonar to map the bottom. Uh, the uh, executive director, Bruce Lynn, told the Huffington Post that the process was slow, even boring, a bit like mowing the lake. Once the researchers located direct, the team of divers remotely operated a submersible that went down to take a look. They found it intact, resting in more than 200 feet of water. The nameplate was still legible. The wreck was the Nelson. The Nelson went down in May 1899 in a storm in Lake Superior. The boat sank so quick that, as eyewitnesses put it, the vessel disappeared as suddenly as one could snuff out a candle. There was a single survivor, uh, Captain Andrew Hageny. Uh, when the boat started to go down, he saw to it that a seven-person crew, as well as his wife and child, made it into the lifeboat. But before the lifeboat could be detached from the Nelson, the ship sank, and Hageny was the only sole survivor. A sad story, but look at that. Still got the ship's wheel on it, so you, you know that nobody had found the wreck before. Now, they said 200 feet. I wonder if Beautiful that's... Beautiful photos of it. Yeah. I wonder if that's 200 feet or is that like 299? Even so, that's divable depth for tech diver. Yeah. yeah the, the photos I saw were surprising it was how dark it was, which made me wonder what the depth was. I hadn't seen any depth on this one. Yeah, they just said 200 and 200 feet of water, over 200. So, uh, let's see, how many miles out do they say? Mm. 
Uh, the schooner was 199 feet long. That's long. Yeah, but that's a beautiful photo of the, the nameplate. That kind of makes it easy to identify. Isn't that like cheating? Yeah. <laughs> what is it? I don't know. Let's rub the stern. Yeah. Unless somebody found it 30 years ago and painted a new name and aged it. Very cool. Congrats to them for finding an, a new shipwreck. So that does it for the news. How about some cool scuba gear? Subol Housing uh, now has a new housing for the Sony FS700. And I had to just take a look at this. I mean, it looks like something out of Star Trek meets Star Wars. Uh, it's a housing for Sony's 4K video camera, so it can be used underwater. It's known as a high-end SLR housing. They introduced the flagship model for the video housing back in March. Sony is perhaps best known for its slow-motion capability, shooting at 240 frames per second at 1080p. So you can just about turn that into very smooth slow-mo. Yeah. They also offer the housing with an option of a convergent Q7 monitor to expand the FS700's capability recording 4K resolution video. So if you're not looking to invest in a cinema-quality setup, just drool over the images below. And this is on Die Photo Guide's website, and that is very cool. This is, this is I put this in the category of if I'm a millionaire and I'm still diving, which I would have to be, uh, this is what I would buy. There would well, just be no doubt item, about it. Next item would go right along with it. Yeah, you could, you could wear the next item. And what he's referring to is a, and it seems like we've had this one, if not specifically this one, one very much like it. And uh, gosh, what would you call it? It's almost like th- thrusters. Uh, well, yeah, I was, you know, basically it's a fancy $31,000 scooter. Yeah, it it has kind of like a belt pack and then it straps to each leg. So about where your knee is, your right knee and your left knee, you have on the outside, uh, what is that, probably a six inch, seven inch thruster. It's controlled by controls in your hand. Oh, here it says a pair of six inch electric thrusters silently propel a swimmer to speeds up to three and a half knots. Full charge propulsion parts have a range of about two miles, but you can extend that by bringing along an extra battery. It can be swapped in while underwater. Now, there is one caveat. Uh, it is limited on who can order, only available from uh, the Hammaker Schlemmer for recreational use by U.S. citizens within U.S. territory waters. Its advanced design requires purchase approval from the U.S. Department of State. And I look at that and I'm thinking, why in the world? I, I don't. Is it that advanced? Or is that like a marketing? And why, and why state, not Homeland Security? If it's a, uh, the U.S. Department of State, that means that they just want to uh, prevent it from getting into specific certain countries more as a black eye than anything else. Because that's more of the, I consider the uh, you know, State Department to be more political than you know practical. Yeah. But very cool. I don't know. This would, this would even be tough. If I was a millionaire and I had 31000 would I spend it on this? If you were a multimillionaire. Yeah, maybe you just had to have one of everything. But I think I'd prefer a regular scooter. Maybe you could do something that's fairly unique. And that does it for Scuba the News. One thing I did want to bring up is, uh, did you get that that link I sent you to the class? Yes. And I have actually signed up for the class. I know Dave Tonneman has signed up for the class. And what we're f- referring to is the, I think it's a University of Southampton in the U.K., uh, through an online training program, is offering a free class in underwater archaeology. Let me see if I can find it. I guess better to go to my scent. 
Oh, this is this internet just unbelievably how slow it is tonight. Okay, I have to break down and try it a different way. So it's a University of Southampton. The course is called Shipwrecks and Submerged Worlds. And they said, uh, join a global community me guided through humanity's changing relationship with the world's oceans and seas over the last 2.5 million years. They said, we invite you to join our unique, free, interactive course with world-leading archaeologists from the University of Southampton Center for the Marine Archaeology. Over the four weeks of this online course, you'll learn about marine archaeology together, exploring underwater landscapes of the ancient Mediterranean to the prehistoric North Sea and shipwrecks from around the globe. We will chart the development of seafaring and our relationship with the changing marine environment, as well as examine the impact of shipwrecks have on our understanding of the past societies. And this is using the FutureLearn platform, which is a online training tool, very visually focused. If you want to learn more, I'll have to get the show notes up to date. Heck, the class will be over by the time it makes it in the show notes. You can follow their Twitter at U-O-S-S-H-I-P-Rex and the website. Let me see. I think if you go to FutureLearn, the web's, yeah, the, the print's too small, small for me to even be able to read. But do a search for Future Learn. Uh, do one for Southampton, or uh, if you if you want some information on it, just uh, drop me an email and I'll forward you the link. Uh, the show at scubaobsessed.com, and I'll get that information out to you. I think it starts in October. I've signed up for it. It's like, what do you have to lose? It's free, and I'm sure I can get something out of it. And then I do notice that it's a free course, but if you want the certificate at the end, you have to pay for it. So I have no idea what that little piece of paper costs. And will any of the colleges or universities in the states honor it? Yeah, even if they don't, it's still good. Yeah. And then yeah. you can you can honestly say when some you know when we're doing some of the stuff with the the shipwrecks, have you had any training? Yeah, sure we have. Mm-hmm. It counts. They have to I be accredited somehow. Experience. Yep. So looking forward to that. And I signed up for a few other classes as well. There's quite a bit on there. Now we'll we'll have to see if I like that platform or not. And it's self-paced, so you're not necessarily sitting in lectures. Uh, they do have a lot of video. It's a very uh, oral type of program. But let's get to the good stuff. I understood that you went north. How'd that go? Yeah. Oh, we had a great week last week. Uh, annual trip up to Mackinac, Sheboygan area, northern Michigan, the very tip of uh, the lower peninsula, before you cross over the Mackinac Bridge <laughs> get into the Upper Peninsula. Um, west side of the bridge is Lake Erie, Lake Michigan, and the east side of the bridge is Lake Huron. And about 20 miles north is Lake Superior. So we were diving. We didn't get uh, west of the bridge this year. We stayed everything over in the Lake Huron side. And Tuesday, let's see, we drove up on Monday, which was Labor Day. And Tuesday we went out and dove the St. Andrew, which is a two-masted wooden schooner, um, rather old schooner. I took some great video of that. I'm going to work on it and post it. Yeah, I think, uh, I've, I, think I dove on that one a few years back. I, you were yeah. boat captaining, so I don't think you went down on that dive. That, that could be. Uh, yeah. That was one at one time I took my Zodiac out to it. It's that close to shore. It's in 60 feet of water. And I know it's an old wreck because it's got one of the oldest windlasses I've ever seen. Uh, the windlass being the in the bow of the boat where they would use to raise or lower sails. 
Um, this is a manual wind list that has basically square posts you put into holes in the wind list, and yeah. then you pull on the post um, to turn it, and then you know a, a dog drops down into a notch and locks the wind list in place, and then you pull the post out and move it to the next hole and pull it again. So this had a wooden spike style windlass on it. Now, what would a, a, a huge a, a newer version of that windlass be like? Well, there, there's three styles of windlass that I'm familiar with. This being the oldest, uh, the wooden spike. The next style that I have seen um, would use something like a logging pole. It's a long pole with a hook on the end and a pick. And if you've ever seen somebody who, like, you know, you roll a log, um, you use a pole to roll a log where the, you stick the pole into the log and then there's a hook that comes off the end of it that pivots. Yeah. And that kind of reaches around the log and you, and you pull it down. Well, the second style of windlass used a pole and hook like that um, where the hook would hook into teeth that were metal teeth that were cut into uh, a band that went around the windlass. And so you you know, uh, just kind of ratchet that pole up and down. And then the third style of windlass uh, is more like a, it was a, a double-ended pump, which you would see on bilge pumps quite often, or on old fire apparatus, the hand-drawn or horse-drawn fire apparatus that they would pump. Uh, you'd also think about it if you've ever seen somebody on a, um, I think they call them cable cars or railroad cars, where you would pump them up and down to move them down the track. Yeah, yeah. Those little little cars. That type of uh, pumping mechanism or handle uh, was used in front of the windlass, and it would just move a series of ratchets that would turn the windlass very slowly. That's the newest style of windlass before they went to you know capstans and motorized items you know, steam-driven or whatever. Right. But from an old mechanical, basically a wooden windlass, this St. Andrew had uh, the old-style uh, post and hole windlass on it. So I got some nice video of that that I can take some still photos of. Uh, I got some good pictures of the rudder post for steering. Uh, I got some nice photos of the uh, the knees, which is the piece that transitions. It basically is an L bracket, like a 90, uh, and it bolts on the hull of the ship and the deck of the ship and just kind of holds them together like an L bracket. You know, they're called knees. Mm-hmm. And got some good video of the knees. And then the centerboard trunk. Uh, vessels in the Great Lakes, because they would bring them right up on the shore, and they were very much flat-bottomed boats, you know, curved sides, but pretty much flat bottoms. In order to sail upwind very well, they had to have a centerboard that would slide down or swing down like a swing keel mm-hmm. on current boats. And this swing keel was called the centerboard. And there was a trunk or a box that was built around the swing keel to keep the water out of the hull of the boat. And then they would cut a, a slot down the middle of the swing keel and basically use chain or cable to pull the keel swing it up or swing it down, depending if they were in shallow water or deeper water. And St. Andrew had a swing keel, but centerboard trunk was probably 10 feet tall. Wow. And the chain was still sticking out of the top of it, uh, you know, where the, the keel would have swung down or used to haul the keel up. 
So I got lots of video on there that we can use to help with showing ship construction and dating the vessel. And then the dive shop we went into, which is, uh, uh, yeah, the one in Sheboygan. I know they're, I dive Michigan, but, uh, yeah, that's their website. Yeah. They're on, they're one of our sponsors. I'm drawing a blank of their name right now, but Joe Lavender's shop, uh, they have, uh, there the coin that was found, uh, they call it the stepping coin. It was tradition that when the masts were set, you know, sailors would put a coin under the mast, uh, when the mast was set into the keel for luck. And the, the basis of tradition was we would put that coin there so that if the ship ever sunk, they could pull up the mast and retrieve that coin and have money to buy their way home. Oh. <laughs> you know, that was the original stepping coins. And then it became more of a tradition, you know, that uh, to step the mast, you put a coin underneath it. Yeah, so, they've so that's got the, the Northern Michigan coin. Dive Center. That's right, in Sheboygan. So we dove that wreck on Tuesday. And then went over uh, and dove a wreck called the Jenny Lynn. It was a tugboat that sank at its mooring um, in 25 feet of water just off the channel of Sheboygan. We took a quick look at that. That was Tuesday's dives. Um, Mac joined us Tuesday night, or came up, yeah, he came up on Tuesday. And so Wednesday we went diving in the river, the Sheboygan River, and looking for trash or treasure, depending on how you want to look at it. So we picked up a few bottles and got them out of the river bottom on Wednesday. On Thursday, we decided to go out and we dove on the Cedarville. Cedarville was a steel uh, ore carrier, a modern-day ship. was involved in a collision just east of the Mackinac Bridge and went down on its starboard side uh, so you got port side up and you can reach the hull i guess at about uh, 50 55 feet somewhere in there and then when you drop down to the sand it's about 110 to the sand um but they it's buoyed in three places the bow the stern and the brake so we decided we would go to the brake this time and we hit the brake hit the hull went over the side uh, swam down the deck, looked in the holds, uh, followed the conveyor crane towards the bow, and right at, behind the, the pilot house on the bow, the conveyor crane's got its big uh, kind of an operator's station, you know, the crane control house. And so we were down pretty close to the sand about there, and I happened to look over under the hull or through the hull, and actually under the hull I could see daylight. So Rick was my dive buddy on this one. I signaled him, and we dropped down to the sand level and actually swam under the wreck where the sand had washed out underneath the wreck right by the the conveyor crane towards the bow, popped out on the other side, followed the hull back up and around, and uh, don't know how many people have have actually swam under the Cedarville, but we did. (laughs) You could be the first. Uh, I don't know about that, but, you know, we swam under it. A lot of people swim through the wreck, but we swam under the wreck. So that was a lot of fun. And we got, uh, the storm was kicking up, weather was getting nasty. So after we got our dive in on the Cedarville, we headed back to Sheboygan. 
and tried to do a little diving in uh, the flats, but it got too rough and blew us in the, the river. So we called it a day. And then Friday, it was kind of rough, so we just dove the the flats area um, close to shore where an old lumber camp used to be. And then uh, Saturday, we went over to Duncan Bay and an area we call the dump, um, dove that area. And then Sunday, we headed home. But I think Mac got another river dive in on Sunday. Yeah, looking so, at all right, the... All right, step back. Friday, we got another river dive oh, in, too. Friday? Because I saw on the Mud Club site he had a few... Yeah, so we hit the river three days. Or we hit it two days, and I think Mac hit it three days. And uh, it was very interesting. There were some spots in the river where it really had a strong current. If you didn't have a good river stick uh, to hold you down, it swept you right on, right on down. It was probably blowing... You know, I'm going to say it was like a three or four knot current in that river in spots, especially on the bottom. It may not have been as much on the surface, but on the bottom, it was it was whipping through there. And if you didn't have a good river stick to anchor yourself down, you were getting ripped right was, on deck. Was that because they had some rain or something? Uh, there had been some rain on Wednesday, but I think that river usually runs pretty good in that area. And we were right in the center of a narrowing of the channel where we knew it was, was going to be strong current. But we wanted to pick that area because just upriver and just downriver of that spot, you know, uh, are some slower current spots. And we thought that would be a good area to look for look for some bottles and some other goodies. So I found a, it was the neck was broken on it, but I found a half torpedo. And for people who don't know what that is, you know, you think about wine bottles and they always store wine bottles laying on their sides. Well, before they started making them with flat bottoms, torpedo bottles were, you know, tapered ends on one end, and then you had your typical neck and a gob top or a cork in the other end. And then a half torpedo was a rounded bottom, so the bottom looks like a an egg. It's rounded over like an egg with a regular neck on the top. And I found a half torpedo... That's embossed with uh, Connolly and Cronwell. I need to look them up. Uh, Belgium, or I'm not sorry, Belgium, uh, Belfast and Dublin. So I'm wondering if it was a bottle that came over on a, a ship from Ireland somewhere and ended up in the river. So I'm going to do a little digging into that, see what I can find on the internet about Connolly and Cronwell bottling in Ireland. So that was one of my finds. Mac found a very interesting bottle. Um, it was basically a, an hourglass bottle, you know, shaped like an hourglass in the middle of the bottle, but had a flat bottom and a neck on the top. So that was a real unique one. And then we had the usual Cokes and Pepsis and other soft drink bottles. Most of them were um, basically pressed cap, the metal cap you'd open with a bottle opener from the 50s and 60s. Yeah. You know, and there were a couple, Mac found a couple gob tops, which were the older ones that, you know, real thick tops that would take a cork. Um, all in all, it was interesting diving. You know, it's always fun up there. We never know what we're going to find. And even on bad blow days, there's always the river. And we probably had, you know, at some point, 15, 20 feet of visibility in the river. Another point was six to eight feet, depending on how, how the current was and where we were diving. But, had a great time. It's a trip I always look forward to, and we're never disappointed. Well, it sounds awesome. I'm sorry I missed it. 
I wanted to get up there, but I uh, just couldn't swing it this time of year. Mm. Uh, Those kids' activities seem to always get in the way. Oh, yeah, and and I'm looking at the next year's schedule, and it's not getting going to get any easier. So I've got a few more years of this, I, I have a feeling, before I'm going to get it. It's going to be – I never understood when people talked about the empty nest syndrome, but I can see as you just keep going farther and farther and it gets more filled up, and then it goes from that to nothing. <laughs> Which, which I think I'm looking for. I don't know if my wife is, but I, I'm certainly looking forward to it. Yeah, well, when they take off for college, you, you know, they're out on their own. Of course, I don't think my wallet's going to be happy with that. Yeah. Well, you know, just raise them bright and they'll get scholarships. Scholarships. Yeah, we can always hope. We can always hope. Full rides. Yeah. Well, the torpedo, I, I know the, the bottle you're talking about because I found one. In fact, that's where I found my torpedo bottle is up there as well. Uh, it was kind of like a it's kind of like a greenish blue glass. Yep. Yeah, it's uh there must have been a bunch of them out there. A little Probably. darker than the old Coke bottles. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's uh right where I found it. Mine mine was pretty sand etched. It had been rolling around the bottom for quite a while. Mhm. But it was there in that old uh, lumber mill area there near near Duncan Bay. Mhm. Now mine came out of the river, so we uh it was a good week. Had a lot of fun, decent weather, good camaraderie. We ended up with, you know, at times there were eight people in our group and five of us were diving, so. Always a good good event. Yep, yep. Well, any plans for this weekend? I see that Bob and uh, Kirk are talking about doing either a Lake 16 dive or uh, Gull Lake. Uh, they, I think they wanted to get out in Lake Michigan. There was some talk of the Rockaway, but they're yeah. anticipating that the lake's going to be too rough. We have had a lot of wind the last couple of days. Yeah, the lake's really been whipped up the last couple of days. Um, well, if I dive on Sunday, I'll probably be diving with the fire department. They're doing some training. Multiple dive teams are going to get together from sheriff's department, a couple fire departments, and uh, work together, do some training, familiarization of each other's practices. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I've been spent too much time in the water came back with some problems in my ear oh no so i'll see if i get a clearance from the doctor to dive on sunday if not uh, i'll be tending boat but if i do anything it might just be the dive training sunday morning and then hit the river sunday afternoon yeah i have not hit the river this year and you know after being in sheboygan it got me stirred up about river diving again yeah i'm i'm the same thing here i'm i'm looking forward to getting a little bit of river time in but we just haven't seemed to have any weekend i could get out to do some river diving the river is just flowing too quick yeah well if you stay near the edges and get a good river stick you know make sure you get somebody spotting for you so you don't get trapped in an overhang or some hanging uh, trees or tree roots get snagged in that area but hopefully be able to hit the river for a while on sunday afternoon yeah that'd be nice well, let's see. Do we have another uh, dive shop that we need to plug? I'm sure there's one. Let me get on the site and see who's up next. Let's see, because I think last was, was it Moby's we did last time? I believe we did Moby's last. So that would put us up to Ocean Sand Scuba. And uh, they All are right. they, they're in the area. That's OceanSandsScuba.com out of Holland, Michigan, 616 616- Three nine six zero zero six eight, and they've donated two air fills. I don't know if I've been to that shop. In fact, I'm pretty sure I haven't been. 
I usually don't hit too many shops up around Highland, but uh, we're definitely going to have to stop in and say hello and yeah, thank them for their contribution and maybe get a couple air fills while I'm up there. Yep, I did uh, did get an air fill from Northern Michigan Dive Center, so we will have to get in and see Ocean Sand Scuba and spend a little money there with them. It also looks like they've got some a charter boat that you can take if you're in the Highland area. They said it's docked in Muskegon, Michigan. Hmm. It's a 330 Coastal Wellcraft. That's a little, looks like a cabin cruiser. I'm betting by the model number, that's a 33-foot boat. That would be a good size for a charter boat. Looks like a nice, comfortable boat. Yeah, yeah I'd, I'd dive off something like that. And then also you can follow us on, uh, let's see, what do you can do? You can do our website, www.scubaobsessed.com. You can follow us on Twitter, at scubaobsessed. Also Facebook, facebook.com forward slash scubaobsessed. And uh-huh. scoop it. And scoop it, i got to get some more articles. I've been I've been so busy with work again, I haven't uh, been able to do a whole lot. So time to, to catch up. And I, I, I'm, I'm surprised my voice held out. I, I feel like I'm coming down with that late summer, early fall cold. Oh, no. Through everybody else in the house, and I think it's due for me. And this morning I was just moving really slow. So, but my ear did clear up. I was, I'm real happy I can hear out of both ears again. There's about three or four months where I had one ear where I could hardly hear, and it was just something was plugged up over there, and finally got that cleared up. Did every remedy that doctors told me to go and try before getting in there and doing something more evasive, and I think I hear as good out of that ear as I ever have. So, well, good for you. I'm fighting that problem with mine right now. Yeah. So I see the doctor Friday, and hopefully he'll be able to help me out. Let's see what else is there. Anything else that we've got to plug? I think we've we've pretty much run through it all. It puts us to that time of the show. That time of the show. It is. It is that time of the show. Okay. I guess I'm ready. Okay. After a successful morning dive, a scuba diver was enjoying some surface interval time between dives, laying on his back in the deck of a boat. He fell asleep under the noonday sun. He suffered a severe sunburn to his legs, stomach, and chest. His skin turned a bright red, and he was starting to blister. Anything that touched his legs caused agony, so he canceled his second dive, and as soon as the boat touched shore, he headed to the nearest emergency room. The doctor prescribed continued intravenous feedings of water and electrolytes, a mild sedative, and a double dose of Viagra. Rather astounded, the noose inquired, A double dose of Viagra? In his condition? He is in no shape for sex. The doctor replied, I know, but his insurance will not pay for a tent pole, and this will keep the sheets off his legs. Okay. Yeah, and I think you'll just have to use your imagination on that one. Imagination. Until next time, go out there and get wet. And stay safe. <laughs>